Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, as is fitting for this end of the liturgical year and this month of November, as the days are getting shorter, the air is getting crisper, the leaves are falling, a certain darkness comes over us both externally and internally. It's good for us this time of year to meditate upon the apocalypse, end times. And that's what our gospel today is about. The setting for the gospel is very interesting. Jesus has come with his disciples to the holy city. Now, for someone of Jesus' time, especially for a kind of a country person from Nazareth, Coming to the capital city of Jerusalem and seeing the temple would have been an overwhelming experience. The temple was undoubtedly the most beautiful thing, the most impressive thing any of Jesus' disciples had ever seen. So there they are. They're standing around the temple looking up at it in all its splendor and they're, they're exulting in it. Jesus says, the day is coming when not one stone of this will be left upon another. All will be torn down. Well, can you imagine the reaction? It's like standing in front of the, the Capitol building or the White House and everyone's admiring it. Like standing in front of St. Peter's in Rome and admiring it and someone saying, believe me, the day is coming when none of this will be standing. All of it will be torn down. Well, gee, it would be, be shocking, that kind of language. But then it gets even worse. Not only is the temple going to be destroyed, but Jesus says... The world, as you know it, is going to be destroyed. Listen. During that time, after trials of every sort, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not shed its light. Stars will fall from the skies, and the heavenly hosts will be shaken. Can you imagine the effect now this language has on the disciples? From Jesus himself the one they're taking to be the Son of God, he's announcing that the whole world of meaning is ending, falling apart. Now, I don't have to really prove to you that this kind of language is fascinating. It always has been. Look up and down the centuries. People have always loved this apocalyptic language. Language about the end of time. When will it happen? What will it be like? And it perdures up to this day. Walk into any bookstore, popular, serious, any bookstore, you'll find shelf after shelf of books about the apocalypse, the end times. That Left Behind series of books I think I've spoken of before. Novels about the end of the world. Well, they're million sellers. Look on the, on the internet. Put apocalypse or 
or end times in your search engine. You come up with millions of references on the web. Yes, we're fascinated, as the disciples probably were, when Jesus first uttered these words. The question, of course, is, what do we make of it? How do we understand it? Let me make a suggestion. I think if we take this language as a literal description of cosmological events, we, precisely as Christians, are going to be on pretty dicey ground. How come? Well, listen to what Jesus says right after the passage I quoted. I assure you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Huh. This generation that I'm talking to, these people around me in early first century Palestine, these things will happen before this generation passes away. Space and time will end. The sun will be darkened. The moon will fall from the sky. Well, heck, if you mean it literally, Jesus was about as wrong as you could be. And his prophetic credentials are really in trouble. Beware of taking this language too literally, or we undermine Jesus' own credibility. So what does it mean? If we don't take this language literally, what does it mean? First of all, this kind of talk belongs to a literary genre that we call the genre of the apocalyptic. The book of Daniel in the Old Testament is the best example of this genre of apocalyptic literature. Our book of Revelation in the New Testament is another beautiful example of it. The word itself gives it away. Apocalypse does not mean end of the world. Apocalypse means unveiling. Apocalypsis in Greek, unveiling. Which is why when they rendered that word into Latin, they chose the word revelatio. Same thing, taking a veil away. Revelation. What's being unveiled here? Something which is hidden in the old and is now revealed, unveiled. That's the key, I think, to this reading. Listen again now to the Lord. During that time, after trials of every sort, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not shed its light, stars will fall from the skies, the heavenly host will be shaken. Christians, this is code language, if you will. We've lost sight of this a little bit because of our modern technology. But for ancient peoples, the stars, the sun, the moon, they were the means of navigation. It's how you found your way. Even to tell what time of day it was, we look at our watch, they looked at the sun and shadows and so on. They steered their lives by these cosmic principles. More to it, they believed there were cosmic powers, cosmic principles that guided and governed the world. What Jesus is talking about here is this. The way you customarily govern, guide, order your lives, it's all going to change. The temple, which was the center of your religious life, the moon, the stars, the sun, the cosmic powers by which you govern your life, all of that is going to change. Listen, something new is going to be unveiled, apocalypsis, unveiled. And you know what? 
it is going to happen in this generation. What's he talking about? What he's talking about is not the end of the space-time continuum. What he's talking about is his death and his resurrection from the dead. Let me say it again. Something that, yes, will happen in the generation that he's talking to. Jesus' death and his resurrection from the dead. Jesus' death, what does that mean? He was put to death after being rejected by everybody, after being turned down by the crowds, he was put to death by the religious and the political establishment of his time. You might say Jesus was put to death in the most respectable way you could want. The Jewish authorities, the Roman authorities, the keepers of right order killed him. That is judgment on those powers. The Lord of life came, as Peter said, and you killed him. What does that say about you? Listen now. What does that say about the sun, the moon, the stars, and the cosmic powers by which your political, cultural, and social life are being governed? It means there's something wrong with them. Something deeply off with them. Because they killed the Lord of life. Then, even more dramatically, Jesus, whom they killed, rises from the dead on the third day. Friends, if there's one thing we govern our lives by, one thing which seems as certain as the stars and the planets, it's the fact of death. The finality of death. Taxes and death, the two things you can count on. If I'm going to steer my life according to a clear, unambiguous star, that's it. The fact, power, and finality of death. So what does it mean when Jesus rises from the dead? It means that that way of governing my life, ordering my life, no longer makes sense. Now I know that death does not have the final word. Now I know that death has been disempowered. Now I know that death does not set the parameters of my life. I can live as though death doesn't matter. Look, because I'm afraid of dying, I cave in on myself. Because I'm afraid of dying, I become proud. I grandize myself, I trumpet my accomplishments. Because I'm afraid of dying, I become envious of your achievements. I lash out at you. Because I'm afraid of dying, I become violent. I can't forgive my enemies. Because I'm afraid of dying, I fill my life up with material things. Because I'm afraid of dying, I distract myself with all kinds of physical and sensual pleasures. My point is, all sin comes ultimately from a fear of death. Look at it this way. Every tyranny... Every system of domination, every governmental brutality over the centuries is predicated upon fear. Because a tyrant can make you afraid of death, he can oppress you.
He can manipulate you, dominate you. But Jesus rose from the dead, which means God's love is more powerful than death. That means the ways of sin are broken in principle. I don't have to live in pride, envy, avarice, fear, violence. I don't have to live that way. I can now live in the freedom of God's children. I can live as God wants me to live. More to it, I don't have to accept the tyranny of oppressive leaders. They've now been unmasked because something has been unveiled. The thing that they were relying upon, that fear of death, has been broken. The apocalypse, the unveiling, is that this new way of seeing and thinking and imagining has been revealed to us. Apocalyptic is not depressing language. Not meant to frighten us, just the contrary. It's meant to show us a way out. The old order is passing away. Good news. And a new order is being unveiled, revealed. You know, when Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He means that old self, predicated upon the fear of death, guided by the sun, moon, and stars of the old world. They fell out of the sky. They're gone. And now I can govern my life by the power and the light of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's why this apocalyptic language is finally the language of life, the language of hope. Finally, good news. And so as the liturgical year ends, this is the good news that seizes the soul. Christ risen from the dead has been unveiled. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.